Hey there, and welcome to the Firebreak. I'm Steve Wolf. Firebreak is sponsored by Team Wildfire, developing new tactics and technology to fight tomorrow's fires. Today, we have two amazing guests with us. We've got Chief Matt Snyder, and we've got Caitlin Trulove from the Pudra Fire Department. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. We're gonna find out in just a minute. And they work in the community education section, teaching people what they need to know to keep their homes and themselves safe from fire. Welcome to the fire break. Matthew Snyder and Caitlin Trulove of a, a fire department somewhere in Colorado of dubious pronunciation. Um, Caitlin, will you help me out with this? Yeah, so we're Pooder Fire Authority. You can see it on my shirt here. That is often mispronounced. Yeah. We're not Poudre or Pudra or. No, it's French from Cache la Poudre, which means stash the powder uh, from way back when we were oh, wow. a military outpost and a foundational area in Colorado. So they would have been P O U D R E then, right? Correct. Correct. And someone reduced it to a U? No, we we still okay. are. You're still, you're still poudre. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Very exciting. So what are you guys working on these days? Yeah, so we work in community outreach and risk reduction. So we have a number of offerings for our community, everything from CPR to fire extinguisher training. Uh, but Matt is our expert in wildland urban interface education. So that's maybe why we're here to talk with you today. Wow. Yeah, so we're all about wildfire um so we mm -hmm. jump right in let's let's you know you can alternate things people should be doing to reduce the risk of wildfire you know the sure yeah reduce the risk to themselves and to their homes yeah yeah so so the first thing they should be doing is is establishing uh communication with their their local fire department uh and ems services so lots of of fire departments have text alert systems so on and so forth so uh, LIDA 911 in our area is a great one for receiving text alerts about wildfires, uh, voluntary evacuations, mandatory evacuations, floods, any type of disaster that, that citizens should be aware about. So getting, getting signed up for those alerts is huge. Uh, in our area, another thing people should be doing is getting ready for wildfire season, particularly if they live in the wildland urban interface or WUI as we call it, these, these areas that are at higher risk from seasonal wildfires or just wildfires in general, because as you've said in, in some of your previous uh, broadcasts, you, you know it's, you know, wild, wildfire season is now 300 days long in many parts of the globe. So uh, what we use up here, our, our one-stop shop is livewildfireready.org. It is the stop for us, for our partners in wildfire uh, safety, wildfire response, like Larimer County Sheriff's Office, uh, Loveland Fire and Rescue, and the Colorado State Forest Service, who hosts that webpage. And at that webpage, you can find a ton of information uh, about how to prep your home, how to do home hardening, which, as you probably know, is to, to incorporate uh, building materials or structural materials into the structures on your property that will lower the risk of damage should a wildfire come through or to engage in acts of mitigation, which means learning about the different wildfire zones, uh, what fuel should be removed or, or managed in each of those zones, uh, depending how many of those zones you have on your property, so on and so forth. We also have all this information available from our webpage 
which is www.pooter-fire.org. Pooter spelled again, the French way, P-O-U-D-R-E-fire.org, uh, but pronounced the good old American way. So, Pooter. Yeah. I, I like that. Caitlin, what do you want to add to that? Yeah, like Matt said, this uh, wildfire season just continues to grow for us, and more than half of our residents here in Colorado do live in the wildland urban interface. And sometimes people think of that just as the area that's butting up against the mountains, but that can be for us. For example, we have a plains area um, on the east side of our district too. So it's not always just what you think of when you think of you know big, beautiful mountain homes with trees and you know the wildfire footage that you might see but it can be um all through our district mm -hmm. and can and can you give me some specifics so i know you could go to the website it says here are the things you could do to harden your home against wildfire what do those things look like yeah yeah so uh the the easiest and most cost effective thing that people can do who live uh in the wooey as we say whether it's in near the grasslands or up in the mountains is incorporate fine mesh screens into all their windows, eaves, uh, and vents. Uh, so for your listeners to know, a lot of people think that most homes in wildfires are destroyed by through flame contact, where, as you know, it's actually the embers that will travel hundreds of yards or even miles. And these embers can land on a porch, or often what happens, they go in through um, a gaping attic vent or even a window that may be open from an abandoned house. And once the, you know, just a tiny little ember lands on the synthetics inside a home, uh, those synthetics, whether it's a couch or the insulation inside a roof are much more flammable. Those things go up quick. Then you've got the roof on fire and then the house is on fire. Then you've got a, conflag a conflagration uh, like you had with the Marshall fire just a few years ago. So those fine mesh screens, uh, one eighth, one of eighth of an inch screens or finer are super cheap. You can find these at Lowe's, Home Depot, you know, any, any big hardware manufacturer. That's the cheapest option uh, people can do. That, uh, that's, that's home hardening. The next is focusing on zone one of their property when it comes to reducing fuels. So zone one is going to be uh, from zero feet to five feet out from a structure on your property, whether it's your main residence, an auxiliary structure, barn, you name it, and either reducing those fuels or eliminating the fuels, whatever they may be, as much as possible, uh, because extended flame contact through those fuels that may get set on fire by embers or anything like that can eventually set the main structure on fire, and then the whole house goes up. So fine mesh screens is a big one, uh, the easiest thing to do, and then really focusing on zone one. Uh, to to kind of get those fuels reduced and, and better prepared for wildfire season. Yeah. So zone one means nothing burnable within the first five feet yeah. around my house. Yeah, as, as much as people are willing to remove. I mean, again, you know, that we, we do fo uh, operate in the realm of safe, safer, safest. The safest thing is, is to like not live there at all, but that's obviously not an option <laughs> for our residents. We love Colorado. We love our mountains. We love our plains. We love all of that. So, so each citizen kind of has to, to evaluate their, their, the amount of risk they're willing to accept. And what you'll find from these guides on Colorado State Forest Services webpage, our webpage, uh, if I can put it up on the screen real quick, the, the Home Ignition Zone Guide, 
which is a must have for, for residents in our district to prepare for wildland season is there are some very aesthetically pleasing things people can do without fuels just five feet from their house. So even just getting rid of some shrubs, yeah, that's a great image right there. Yeah, so zone one is gonna be that dark red. Uh, even getting rid of some of, or all of those fuels and replacing them with with other items can, can really uh, maintain you know the beauty of a property and keep it and keep a property safe from wildfires. Yeah. And I think a common misconception there too is oh if I'm going to mitigate or take care of my property I need to clear cut everything and that's absolutely right. not the case. Sometimes yeah. when you look at a before and an after photo you think wow it actually looks a lot better now that you've done that work because you've removed mm -hmm. any dead or dying brush or scrub or trees, right. you've gotten any stray wood that you might have left over out of that space. Um, mm -hmm. A property that's well taken care of actually looks great too. Yeah. You can think of it like a, a decluttering almost. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 <laughs> a decluttering with, with a huge, you know, safety component to it. That just, just not right. only makes your house look, as Kaylin said, look a lot better, uh, but is, is much, much safer come wildfire season. Yeah. As they would have said in the movie, decluttering with extreme prejudice. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Junipers are out. That's a no. Yes. I love Junipers the smell of mitigation in the morning. Yes. So. And when we talk oh, about yeah. uh, plants, are there certain plants that just shouldn't be on our property? Uh, not really per se. I mean, as as Caitlin said, uh, the dead and dying shrubs, dead and dying fuels are the ones people want to focus on first. Uh, because, you know, less mo dead or dying plants, shrubs, uh, so on and so forth, uh, just have less moisture. Less moisture means they're more flammable. So, so that is the first place people want to strike. If they don't want to remove bushes or trees or, or branches, and if they don't want to raise the crown base heights, as they say, getting rid of what is essentially kindling from flora on their property is, is a must. So, for sure. Yeah. Anything that's really dense, too, we want things to be a little more spread out. And like we said, juniper is one, the common ground juniper. We don't want that. Mm -hmm. I've often been told that I'm kind of dense, too. So <laughs> I might be on the yeah. trash pile. Who knows? <laughs> um, so those are things we could do individually right around our homes. Yeah. Um, given that most wildfires are started by people, mm -hmm. uh, are there things that we could do to reduce the occurrence of wildfires? Come see us so we can teach you about fire yes. safety. So we yes. offer a number of community courses all throughout the year. Uh, could be geared towards young people, towards businesses, towards adults who are living in a retirement community. But we love to have those conversations with people about the responsibility that they need to take, especially mm -hmm. as the causes of fire continue to evolve. So mm -hmm. lithium ion battery fires are an item we've really focused on recently. Um, and sometimes these big, beautiful mountain homes also have um, electric vehicles, electric scooters, lots of electronics that have those lithium ion batteries in them. So that's something we would like you to be aware of and be careful with. Okay. So when people start fires, given that I'm told that, you know, humans are the, the big culprit here, like, what are the things that we're doing that are starting those fires that we need to be more careful about? Is it, is it truly the chain spa spark arrester thing that's the big issue? Is it outdoor mm -hmm. welding? Is it uh, barbecues, cigarettes? Mm -hmm. Like what, what's the big culprit we need to watch out for? 
That can be a little bit of a tricky one to answer, depending on the cause of the wildfire that we're talking about. Yeah, uh, but certainly, certainly campfires are something we want to continue to talk about, making sure those are deeply and fully out. So you're not just saying, okay, the flames are gone, but right, any right. underlying ash or ember that's still there, that that's uh, been dealt with properly. And then careful behavior. So thinking about, especially with the weather, like we saw with the Marshall Fire, where extreme wind really accelerated that fire. Um, thinking about, is this a good choice to be having this fire on this day if you are doing something recreationally? Mm -hmm. So you wait, you're asking people to think before they do stupid stuff? <laughs> you know, a lot of things we do require reading instructions and yeah, right. yeah, that's an important life skill to have. Okay. Yeah. All right. So yeah, and, I mean, one thing I would add to that, that, that people should consider is that you know, with fire as a tool for us, it has been for, for hundreds of thousands of years, for cooking, for warmth, so on and so forth. But fire, it, it's important to conceive it as a living thing. And just like yeah. living things like human beings, it wants to stay alive and it will fight to stay alive. It wants to breathe. So uh, so to really put out a fire actually takes work. It's just not, you know, just stomping on a campfire, as Caitlin said, with a foot or something like that, if it can still gasp and get any oxygen, it's going to want to keep on breathing and take full gasp of air again. So wherever there's oxygen, it's going to keep trying to breathe as long as it can. So keeping that in, in, in the back of our minds, particularly when people are outside in the warmer months, when fuels are drying, barbecuing, camping, shooting off fireworks, so on and so forth, remember that once you once you ignite something, that thing, whatever it is, is going to want to keep living, and it's really going to fight to keep living. So you, you're going to have to fight to stop it. Yeah. So, Chief, are you telling me that a fire has a will and intent? Uh, you could say that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And just like any living thing, its its fundamental desire is survival. So it's yeah. it's going to try to survive. Uh, by by sucking in more oxygen any way and every way that it can yeah uh, i i'd say it has a propensity to do it but i would yeah. stop short of saying that it has a will because i mean it's just a chemical mm -hmm. reaction as long yeah. as conditions favor that reaction it'll continue true uh, yeah. you take away yeah. the oxygen the heat or the fuel right mm -hmm. you, you've suffered mm -hmm. very true <laughs> yeah. Is that, is that yeah your idea all right um so if we don't do stupid stuff outside, we could lower the occurrence mm -hmm. of the fires. If we follow the instructions that you suggested, we mm -hmm. can reduce the impact of these fires, yeah. right? You know, putting the screens on our, our, on our events, keeping our gutters clear, keeping mm -hmm. that first five feet of real estate around the, the area mm -hmm. um, you know, cleared. Um, are there any new technologies that you're aware of that are helpful in avoiding starting fires or getting them under control? Mm -hmm. uh, well, for cooking fires, forward. yeah. I mean, cooking fires, we're getting a lot more questions about fire blankets uh, from from our residents. Uh, so can you can you just drop one of these fire blankets on top of, of a cooking fire or even if, you know, the fire starts outside and it's small enough or a grill fire and suffocate it? And we we're we're comfortable with people using that as as a means to suffocate a fire, uh, as long as the blanket is is approved by NFPA or or a national accredited fire protection agency, uh, okay. because there are a lot of uh, cheap knockoffs of various products out there. So that's probably 
the the biggest new you know new technology I would say that people could could incorporate. Uh, I mean, the internet again. Uh, going to these web pages we mentioned, our web page, uh, livewildfireready.org, to to find out what people can do to to prep their homes. Uh, talking with their insurers as yeah. well about possible incentives. Uh, the insurance companies often have uh, good intel, so to speak, on tech that is being developed, that's that's in the works, that people could use. Uh, because, I mean, their actuaries are always looking at, at the costs of, right. of insuring and uh, properties or even paying out, uh, you know, paying out, what's the term I'm looking for here? Uh, claims. Claims, thank you. Yes, yeah, paying out claims go. to to policyholders. So they're usually trying to be on the forefront of tech as well. So, so I'm curious, right? Everyone fights the fire. Like mm -hmm. we all do the best we can given, mm -hmm. right? But everyone, you know, everyone comes home with a paycheck, whether the fire goes out in a day or a week or a month. And in fact, you know, and sometimes the longer the fire goes, the, you know, the more overtime, like, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's always the insurance company, it seems that that takes it in the shorts in terms yeah. of you know, right. If a fire doesn't get put out fast, you know, they're the ones who have the economic loss. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see why we're, we don't see them more on the forefront of the prevention side or even on direct suppression. Mm -hmm. That's a great uh, question. I'm not that sure is we... a great question. Yeah. 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 We should, we should get, uh, someone from state farm or somebody on here with right. us. We'll, we'll get them up here. <laughs> to talk. Yeah. But what, what we do see them, uh, doing more of is is again offering financial incentives for uh, home hardening and home mitigation. Uh, not every insurance company is doing this, but but more and more are of them are doing because again, it's as you know, it's all in the numbers. Uh, the, the better homes are prepped, the 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 possibility of pay, of losses goes down, meaning the the chance of them paying out huge claims drops. So, and, and often, you know, look, good incentives can, you know, can be the motivator for people, okay, well, this is the day I go outside. I mean, yes, yeah, screens, even though fine mesh screens are low cost, they still are a cost. And even right. uh, buying hedge clippers or, or borrowing someone's chainsaw and fueling it up, those are all costs as well, uh, financial costs. So it is, it is good to see insurers really trying to get in the forefront and saying, okay, it's in, it really is in everybody's interest uh, to get homeowners incentivized to to prep their property. Yeah, great. I would say too, one thing I'm seeing more of is uh, proactive or preventative education on behalf of insurers too. Yeah. Uh, so last year, as we started to enter the wildfire season, I had an email from my insurance company asking if my home was ready and providing mm -hmm. me with different tips that I could take to prevent that. Um, there was also even mention of the possibility that the insurance company would come out and use a chemical retardant if it did seem that a wildfire would approach our home. Mm -hmm. um, so I was pleased to see that. And of course, that's Matt and I's role in the community is to educate. So yeah. we love to see that. Mm -hmm. So you both are working, you know, in education and, and suppression and prevention, the whole thing. I'm going to ask you both the same question, starting with you, Caitlin. When did you realize that the black hole of the fire service had drawn you in and uh, that, that this was the direction your life was inexorably headed toward? <laughs> 
for me, it's like a bright light that I was drawn to. Yeah. Actually, I my background is in education. Um, I studied Spanish, which I actually get to use quite a bit in this role as well, um, and did a master's and then taught for 10 years. Um, and I wanted to be able to use those educational skills otherwise. Um, and so I came to PFA and that's this has been a change of pace to me versus just teaching a certain age group. I get to teach people all across the community. So, plus I love the people I work with. We have a lot of fun every day. And I guess you have to have a lot more patience when you're teaching adults. <laughs> you know, that's, they do say like teachers <laughs> are the worst students. And I would say adults are a close second right behind that. That's funny. <laughs> Steve, what about you? How did you, how did you find yourself in this career path? Uh, I, I started in education as well. I was an educator in, in New Orleans for over a decade, and then my wife and I were ready for a change. So we, we moved to Colorado, and I was looking for a different career. And a good buddy of mine had had worked a couple seasons in Wildland Fire. He said, you should check it out. That would, that would be right up your alley. So uh, I did, and I, I started as an on-call firefighter with Larimer County Sheriff's Office in 2020, which was quite the season uh, here in Northern Colorado with Cameron Peak and these yeah. troublesome fire and, and several other incidents that from August all the way to, to November, uh, it was, it was pretty much nonstop. But I guess the, the black hole moment, so to speak, was, was my very first active fire was the Pine Gulch fire outside of Debeck, Colorado. So southwestern portion of the state, not far from Grand, uh, Grand Junction. And I was on a a 16-day dispatch with a fire crew. And maybe our second day there, we've been working, you know, 16-hour days straight. We we camped right there on the ground, just roll out our sleeping bags. Uh, and, uh, you know, exhausted from a hard day's work. Absolutely love the work, love the camaraderie, everything about it. And looking up at the stars, and it's, it's like, you know, being in, in a planetarium, so to speak, all the stars out there, very little light pollution, shooting stars every few minutes. And then, but, and off to my side is, is one of the, the mountains that, that was on fire during the day. And at night, it just looked like Mount Doom from the Lord of the Rings trilogy. So it's, <laughs> there's this massive smoldering mountain. Uh, I'm, you know, dead tired, feeling great from a hard day's work, looking at stars over here. It's just, all of this is just, you know, overwhelming my senses. I'm like, yeah, this, this is awesome. This is for me. And eventually made my way to, to PFA, which is a fantastic place to work with fantastic people. And we, we just love uh, what we're doing here in our community and, and helping people, particularly uh, in this area, because starting a wildland fire, uh, you know, was such a big thing for me uh, uh, to have this personal and passionate project of educating homeowners about how to be safer just feels great. Uh, and we're really seeing it take off here. Yeah, that's great. I, you know, I, I could see you laying out there on your back watching the stars in the fire. And yeah, uh, I see how a lot of people would find that appealing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's something else. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, uh, Caitlin, when you decided you were going into this line of work, who was most helpful? Did someone mentor you into this? Did, did, <laughs> did you get some great encouragement from somebody on your way in? Uh, yeah, you know, I grew up in this community, and so there are a number of firefighters that I knew when I was 16 or 17 years old. So I reached out to one to get some advice about the interview process, and perhaps the best advice he gave me was, you know, Fort Collins is the home of Colorado State University, the Rams. 
but I went to uh, CU in Boulder for my undergrad. And so he said in the interview process to say uh, <laughs> that I made a mistake by going to Boulder for the first four years, but then I righted that mistake by coming back to CSU for my master's degree. <laughs> and you know, I think that gave me insight just into the uh, banter that happens in the workplace. And yeah, that's something yeah. that I really enjoy. Um, so he gave me some great advice. And then uh, when I first started, I was working under a battalion chief uh, who also really took me under his wing and helped me to see all of the things that I didn't know about the fire service. Um, really encouraged me to get out and ride with our crews. So to do a ride along, you get to see exactly the emergencies that they're responding to every day. And that's really shaped and informed the work I do when I can think of a direct experience that I saw them responding to something. My yeah, role yeah. then is to help get ahead of some of those responses by educating the community. Nice. Very nice way in. Matthew, who was helpful to you on your way in? Uh, first, that, that suggestion from, from my buddy, yeah, back in New Orleans, who'd worked in Wildland Fire. I mean, we, we had similar values and interests, so, so I definitely took his, his recommendation seriously. But once, once I started in Wildland Fire, before even working, I, I entered a Wildland Fire program here in, in Fort Collins at Front Range Community College. And um, to get my red card, I got to do uh, the class called 130, 180, and also wanted to learn how to, to run a chainsaw. And uh, a couple of the instructors for those courses uh, were were actually they are employees at Larimer County Sheriff's Office, uh, their initial attack module. And I ended up uh, studying under those guys, learning how to, to cut trees and, and cut line from those guys, and then ended up working directly with them that that fire season. And just after, I mean, the first couple of days working with them, uh, kind of their professionalism, their, their sense of camaraderie, uh the humor yeah the you know the the spirit of like we're, we're gonna get this job done it's it's up to us and this may be day two or three or whatever but you're one of us and so let's let's do this uh it just felt awesome and just so their yeah their whole attitude uh really inspired me i'm like well th this these are the type of people i want to work with because you know, that's people so people make camaraderie places. i mean they really do yeah strong sense uh, of mission we're all in this together absolutely yeah all of that yeah and i i found that same spirit once i i moved over to pfa as well so and steve what about you you have a lot of history in this industry too <laughs> yeah uh i was a special effects coordinator in charge of blowing stuff up on movie sets mm -hmm. uh and i spent a lot of time you know as a volunteer with different ems rescue and fire organizations and when i saw the nature of wildfires changing Mm -hmm. like when it went be like oh there's a fire okay that's nice to like holy crap there's fire and they're like we've never seen mm -hmm. you know and i asked my you know wildland friends like guys like what would it take to get these fires under control mm -hmm. and they said you know steve it would take a hurricane and mm -hmm. i said all right i'll be right back <laughs> uh, you know, so from my work in the movies you know when you know tom cruise or jim cameron wants a hurricane you know you physically bring them a hurricane you know, mm -hmm. and so I wondered with these guys, like, if you said you need a hurricane, why are you using a shovel? Why are you using a rake? Because mm -hmm. you're going to have to fan that shovel really fast to create hurricane force winds. Mm -hmm. um, but I realized that if we, you know, repurposed some movie equipment, uh, if we took jet engines and mist injection chambers and we put them on the on to big logging trucks, we could mm -hmm. actually 
generate you know heavy rain and two three hundred mile an hour winds and actually mm -hmm. push back at the base of a fire so mm -hmm. we could actually physically scour fuels you know using hurricane force winds mm -hmm. and then wet down those areas in front of the fire you know if you use a jet engine you can apply a lot of retardant to an area a lot faster than you can you know with your piss pack so, oh, yeah. yeah you actually did the company uh, team wildfire to start mm -hmm. building this like super high potency equipment uh and mm -hmm. you know to get this out to the market so that mm -hmm. when you know when you are on the line uh you, you have you know the nuclear option not just the you know whatever you can spit out of the fire truck yeah, yeah. Uh, so we took a look this morning we're, we're and making that's those right fun. now uh and we should have our first full-size prototype back here in april wow awesome. we'll we'll bring it to poudre so you can <laughs> light some grass on fire and we'll yeah. we'll see what it does mm -hmm. but i you know as as much of you, as you described firing have a will fire has a, having a will to survive mm -hmm. you know it's still fragile right oh yeah you, you 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 throw the right conditions at that fire you can knock it out and that's mm -hmm. kind of what i'm Absolutely. hoping the the team wildfire technology does i'm curious when you speak to the public and you know they're telling you what they think about wildfire mm -hmm. what's the single most important misbelief they have what's the thing that they believe about fire that is not only untrue but dangerous that they believe it uh yeah, I'll take that one, I guess. I guess. I you so, say this answer before, and it's a good answer. Yeah, uh, I think I think the biggest mis, uh, misperception is the myth of uh, limitless resources, I think, is what we see. That, oh. that people think, uh, a lot of people, not all people know, uh, but some people think if there is a wildfire, no worries, the fire department will show up and get here and take care of it. Uh, you know, they'll have, they'll get enough wildland fires, they'll get water moving, they'll, yeah, yeah, that, that even though we are an all hazard response agency that, that we can just, you know, get there very quick and with enough firefighters and enough equipment and everything to protect their property. So, because a lot of the questions I saw in my first fire are, you know, things, people, people are understandably nervous, they're upset, they see these massive blazes coming near their uh, their homes, you know, some homes that have been around for, for generations. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, what, what took so long to get here? Why can't you just kind of run right up the mountain and fight the fire? Uh, so on and so forth. Uh, so that, that would probably be the biggest, biggest misconception is that the fire department can definitely show up and deal with this incident and thus my property would be protected. We wish we had limitless resources as all public service entities do. But that's sure. one of the first things we talk about in our worry home safety classes that we offer to people in our community is why it's so important for people to be proactive uh, with their property if, if they live in a place that's under threat from wildfires. Because even if we had you know, limitless budgets with, with thousands of firefighters, I mean, one, one of the most important resources is time. Uh, we can't just yeah. teleport all our resources people vehicles you gave it to to the fire front <laughs> and start cutting line or or doing bucket drops and hopefully in the future maybe been blowing back uh fire fronts from from you know advancing on on homes and thus pushing it back into the black as you hope to do 
So they need to, and then we go further to say, like, this is why we often have to triage care based on the conditions of the time. Because the reality is when we go into places that are under threat, we're looking at how many people we have, uh, how fast the fire's moving, and then we're going to look, okay, what, what properties can we protect? And if there's something that we can realistically get, get a good line cut around or some shrubs removed before the property comes, we'll work on that. If we're thinking we only have an hour and we come by a property with lots of uh, errant items in the yard that are flammable or big brims, uh, brims, branches hanging over the roof or, or just something that would take an enormous amount of time to clean up, uh, we have to we have to move on. You know what I'm saying? Because we have to prioritize the, the properties we can uh, have a realistic chance of, of preparing. So, so, is, so is it true? You know, if you, if the roof's on fire, we're driving by. Uh, yeah, unless we have an unless we have an engine. Yeah, yeah. But hand yeah. trucks, hand trucks. If it's hand crews, are are probably gonna have to drive on by. I mean, they'll get on the radio and say, "There's a roof on fire at this location," and if a resource meaning uh, uh, an engine with, with enough water in it is available, they can come and try to put out that roof. Otherwise, that goes out on the radio. And if the resource is already assigned elsewhere, there, there's not much we can do. So it, it really is in people's interest to understand that we can't be everywhere at once. So please take the steps we mentioned to, to better protect their homes. Yeah. Yeah. Matthew, I, I, in other careers, I've many times said I'm a technician, not a magician. <laughs> right. I like, like that. You, yeah. You can only physically work with what's, you know, with what you got to work with. Right. Right. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Last question for each of you. Um, how do you think wildfire management and wildfire suppression will look a hundred years from now? Oof. Oh man. Uh, that's a big one. Yeah. I mean, in our, in our best like, reality, like, like, every, every industry advances as a result of science fiction, right? We imagine mm -hmm. that we'll have this thing on our watch and we can talk to people. We imagine going to the moon right. and you know, that, that, that imagination is really, you know, where all progress starts. So what do you Absolutely. imagine yeah. for the future? You know, what, what do you, what could you see it looking like? I think it's great to see innovators like you developing new products, because if we think back over the history of the fire service, like here in Fort Collins, we had the Collins hook and ladder company, you know, a horse drawn cart and buckets and all of that happening. Um, so we've already come quite a ways to have the rigs that we have now with everything that they can do. So I would love to see those rigs continue to advance to have a much larger scale impact. Uh, like Matt's saying, where we're not having to make choices about which area of a neighborhood to be able to protect, but to be able to, you know, take a grander gesture that's going to protect more people and property at one time. So thanks for your innovation in that area. Well, thank you. And uh, I think, you know, there's a lot of room for innovation and we just got to build a bunch of things and then throw it at the fire and see what works. Yes, absolutely. Matt, what about you? What do you, how do you think we'll fight fires a hundred years from now? Yeah. I mean, I ditto everything Caitlin said, and I could see us really, uh, uh, having just more more of a all hands on deck approach, so to speak, to to fighting wildland fires and preventing wildland fires in the decades to come, because you, you just kind of look at the trends of Americans moving more into uh, areas that are risk of, of wildland fires, you know, changing weather patterns, so on and so forth. Uh, fire season stretching from just a couple months to three hundred days in a lot of areas. This this. 
uh, our educational efforts, those of our, our partners here in the state of Colorado, around the country, even around the world, in places like Spain and, and elsewhere, uh, that people are, are really starting to wake up from, from the homeowner all the way up to, to county commissions, to state legislators, to, to national governments that more resources. Do you include state in legislatures in there? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. The state of Colorado. That's exciting. Yeah, it is. Yes. I mean, to, to you know, to, to circle back to incentives. I mean, the state of Colorado does offer tax incentives for to for people to prepare their homes. So that's another way to yeah get moving on prepping homes. But, you know, not to digress, uh, more and more people just at every level of society are, are paying attention to this problem. And I really see it in 100 years being a much more like um, the approach that people take towards hurricane seasons in the Gulf Coast where I'm from, where it's just understood, you you have to really pay attention to incidents once they, once they start. Even if the hurricane is still hundreds of miles away, you need to be thinking, what do I need to evacuate? What do I need to do to protect my house? Do I have things to board up my windows? Do I have, you know, whatever I need? Uh, I can see, I really see us moving in that direction that people say, okay, there's a lot more of us living in the wildland space there's a lot more tension here. I need to have my bag ready. I need to have those shrubs removed. I need to have yeah. my home prepped. I need, I need five mesh screens. You name it. Yeah. So, so in that future vision, though, you mm-hmm. still see us being reactive, because it's going to take more like a thousand years for us to get to be proactive about this. <laughs> if no, maybe no, in the hundred-year window, we could we could react better. Yeah. Yeah. No. I I, th- I see as much being much more preventive. Uh, okay. Meaning, uh, because there's so much more attention that that yeah. people are going to be taking steps for their property to protect them from wildfires uh, well before an incident occurs or an, even an incident is anywhere near near their homes. So, and I think, and or I hope that you know our initiatives and those of others will give people uh, the knowledge, the skills, and ultimately empower them to to take those steps. Yeah, it's really that's something you're, that's you can't why you're doing it. Yeah, it's really something you can't ignore. And when we look back over the last few years with the Cameron Peak fire, East Troublesome and the Marshall fire, if anything good came out of those, it's that people are paying attention now that we do hear from homeowners associations and other groups saying, hey, we need this education. How can we get started? Uh, So we hope that that trend continues to grow. Yeah, and I think, you you know, you're absolutely right that people need the motivation. We're sorry that those fires happened. Yeah. If they didn't happen, people wouldn't be calling and saying, hey, I need to come take your class. Mm-hmm. So they're, you know, su- they're justifiably afraid. But not paralyzed that they're not going to do something about it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and there we really is a lot they can do. Oh, I'm sorry, Caitlin, go ahead. Yeah. That's okay. I was just going to say, we want to get rid of that fear, too. We don't want them to feel afraid. We want them to feel like they've taken the proper steps that they're prepared, they know what to expect, and they're able to manage that risk. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, Matt, Caitlin, thank you so much for taking a little time out of your day to spend with us here on the fire break. Mm-hmm. Uh, as incidents happen in your neighborhood, you know, please mm-hmm. reach out to me because I'd love to do some, you know, post-fire Monday morning quarterback reviews with you. <laughs> you know, when you see something happen that other people could learn from, you know, please call me and jump back in with us. Great. We're so excited to see how things continue to evolve for you. So thanks for having us today. Likewise. Yeah. Thanks so yeah, much. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Thank you. Well, you've been listening to The Fire Break here with Matt Snyder and Caitlin Trulove from the Poudre Fire District uh, in, in Colorado. And uh, thanks for joining us. We'll see you back here on the next episode.